Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's on. Well, first up, you're looking well, dude. I am? Yeah, you're looking really well. Oh, thank you. Fresh and youthful and happy. And that's awesome. It looks like the rock and roll lifestyle is treating you well. I had some time off, actually. I think that's what it was. Right, you had a little <laughs> bit of a reset, a pause, For sure. a refresh. Yeah, man, I just bought a house in Nashville, and uh, I've just been like straight chilling, doing nothing over there, uh, just watching some horses feed on some grass and really taking it easy, just playing some music, writing a lot of music, and really decompressing. But we're only on, and this this tour we're on here is only five, no, eight eight shows long. Yep. Yep. So. Do you enjoy being outside in the wilderness, in the countryside, away from the urban chaos? Now, oh, now at this stage in, I, in I, the I journey? Never, you know, at, you can't really hide from people f- when you're trying to, like, uh, you know, get your way into the world and if you have something to say uh but when you you get there it's good to hide away when when you have every moment you can <laughs> after the fact like i we tour a lot and then you know after that when when i come home i, I don't want to see anybody you know I, I just uh nothing against anyone just something against everyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not personal. It's universal. Yeah, that's a good one. Do you have a wife and kids, or are you? No, uh... no. I have a girlfriend. Um, I put off the the wife and kids, definitely with like the band distracting me. My, my uh, other members of this band have definitely had the opportunities to do that. Uh, Jesse no, has four kids. Right? He does. Uh, that's unbelievable. I think while he was making them, I was mixing the albums and. And doing that shit. So. Yeah, yeah, you're cooking up something else entirely, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy because, for me, it's such a hard balance, the family life and the touring life. And anybody who can juggle those two things, I take my hat off to and admire wholeheartedly. I'm a single guy, and I think that being single for me, perhaps for you as well, allows you to do what you do and, and be productive and creative and busy and focused. And I don't yeah, know. I, I just mean, I don't have a choice. I hear you, man. I I, I definitely, I'm 47 now. You got me? Yeah, yeah, I'm just cranking you up I'm 47, I, I can talk right here. I'm 47 now, and um, I've always kind of thought I would be a good dad, and I think I, I still uh, 
do want kids. It's probably why I go out with younger girls. Uh, just Keep that option open. So, so we you. have a little time to figure that one out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the reason why I broke up with my ex, I think, is the, the clock hits, doesn't it, for women a lot earlier. <laughs> yeah. And they start thinking that way a lot sooner because they're like, I'm running out of options and time here. Right. You don't want to mess with them, so get out of their way at that point. That's exactly it. <laughs> uh, I want to talk to you about the, the formation of the band because, I mean, there's a lot I want to talk to you about, but okay. I guess the good place to start is there. Yeah. But before CKY comes into your life, are you just in the studio working as an engineer or are you also doing professional music and touring? And Oh, uh, well, I've been recording bands since I was 13 for money. Uh, I got a four track, you know, if we want to go that far back, but yeah, let's then go I, all the way back. Okay. Yeah. I did get a, a, a four track when I was a kid and I was like the first kid who knew how to work it. And there really wasn't really bands per se, but we'd have like some kind of like, it was a bit of a, an independent music thing happening, like some type of new wave branch off in the early eighties. And like, there was a couple kids who like had some synth sounds and some, uh, rock punk bands and hardcore bands and, and like uh, so I recorded a bunch of that when I was like in high school anybody of sort of international notoriety or is it more on a local level oh it's a absolutely local level right and then uh, I worked then I eventually ended up you know working at a studio when I met uh, the guys in CKY um, I had already been signed to a major label dropped by a major label um, are you a little bit older Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm like uh, maybe seven or 11 years older than that. Seven or 11. Yeah. <laughs> Depending one on of those odd one. numbers. I forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One's my sister and the other's the band. <laughs> uh, so you kind of, you'd been in the ringer and experienced it. Yeah. I came in with a vengeance. I had, su I had a real chip on my shoulder when I joined this band and, and there was nothing going to stop me then because I had the chance, you know, and I, my band had got dropped and my record was shelved. I was in a band called Rudy and Blitz. We signed with Rough House Records. Uh, Rough House did the Fugees, Rough House did Cypress Hill, Rough House did uh, a bunch of rap stuff. Then they did uh, my drummer's band, other band, a uh, band called Dandelion. And Dandelion was a really cool band in, in the late 90s. Uh, and my band, Rudy and Blitz, got a deal basically through knowing them. And then somehow our deal fell through and I ended up with like... Uh, you know, my whole life was planned. I was about 26 at that point, or 20, 23 when I had that. And then uh, it fell through, and I didn't know what was happening after that. And I went out to California to try to, like, shop the record that I had been dropped from. I had no record deal, and I, was, and I lost my band, and all I had was this record that I made. Did you own it? I did own it, it. Yours. yeah. Um, and they... They, that was the only thing I got out of that. We worked for about a year and a half on this record, and we really had it. That band at that time, the sound of that band definitely was a good one. I don't think we would have had a problem doing okay if we had a record put out. So we were pretty good. Thank you. Uh, somebody just brought in tea. Thank you so much. It's all good. I leave everything in. It's a gonzo podcast, so cool. don't, don't worry about interruptions or edits. <laughs> we let the feelings flow. Um, so... We, uh, I went to California. I didn't know what I was doing there and I had no idea. I went to Hollywood and I ended up getting a job at a place called Jerry's Deli delivering food in this real hip part of LA where a lot of record producers and industry was. And, Whereabouts uh, we talking? In Studio City, in, yep. in, in, in uh, Ventura, on Ventura Boulevard. Ventura mm -hmm. Boulevard. That's a little Tom Petty. Um, <laughs> and do you know Casey Chaos? In the radio DJ? From Amen. No, no, no. He lives out there. Oh, really? So, Stephen Adler used to call in and I'd answer the phone. He'd order his chicken noodle, uh, his chicken matzo ball soup from there. There's a place called Jerry's Deli. And incidentally, uh, Andy Kaufman used to be a busboy there. Wow. Really cool shit. But, uh, so I didn't know anything about LA. It was before cell phones. I was looking at a, this giant thing called a Thomas Guide for a map to try to deliver things. And all my own, my, and I had CDs with me of my band. It was a really off way to think I was going to make it, okay? Uh, alone, no band, CDs. The only person after working at this restaurant and barely getting anyone their food that I was able to deliver my CD to happened to be Tom Arnold, the ex-husband of Roseanne. Mm -hmm. I don't know. A comedian, yeah? yeah? Yeah, a comedian. So I don't know if he thought my CD was funny, but he sure as hell didn't 
have the ability to help me in the industry. So after like basically I was living in my van with four animals at that time and delivering. I didn't get a deal in time and I ran out of money in three months and I went back a few months later. I, then I started working at this studio, uh, a two inch analog studio producing recording engineering. I did some demos, Jess, uh, and, uh, our previous singer, uh, Darren, heard a demo that I did for a band called Surge, and they wanted to record where that that record was done. What's, they wanted to do it at that studio, and I happened to be the engineer. So that was after losing a ton of shit. And then when they came in, they had some good ideas, and then when we, then they had a lot of time to do it, and they really wanted to do it right. So they came in with a project called Oil and another project called Foreign Objects, and they were two different types of things. Foreign Objects was kind of a more of a technical uh, math kind of instrumental metal type of thing. And then oil was what they would have called their sellout project. And to me, it sounded more like a bush or something. And uh, I happened to like the foreign object stuff more than I liked the oil. And I was like, you know what? And they're like, we want to do two, two records. And I was like, well, why don't we make one record and make both of these things one and make oil way cooler and if you want to sell out with oil, why don't we sell out with foreign objects and oil? And then we put all of my shit from Rudy and Blitz together and all the harmony and, uh, you know, uh, tonal stuff and tried to develop a, an identity for the band and gave it a big thick sound until those riffs sounded right. They spent the right amount of time on them. We didn't really, we were just local guys, no, I, no, no deals or anything and uh, definitely cared about making very original music if it sounded like anyone at the time we were like it has to go we don't like if it's even if it sounded like our favorite artists we were like it already sounds like they it's already been did done. that yeah, yeah yeah so our our goal was always to like alter it from that and then um we ended up just finishing that and at the same time bam jess's brother uh got a um a w w was a pro skater and then he got a deal to make a a movie a, a VHS film, a skate film that was his idea to combine it with his his comedy, and put his favorite songs in it, and put his uh, skating in it. So that ended up being the first CKY movie. Was a follow up to uh, Jump Off the Building, a skate film. Uh, so he, Bam got the good idea to just use our music as the soundtrack because it, it was probably far more affordable and didn't have to get any rights and he already liked it and it was a good help in his brother so uh keep it in the family right hell yeah, yeah. man and and we and we've always done that and from the start since that just worked we never let anybody alter that uh method we always produced every record ourselves since that first album um we never let anybody it was always in the contract and everybody's always okay with that although maybe if we had worked with other producers and listened to other people and weren't so self-assured and cocky when we were so young maybe we would have been bigger we still you know we we're all right we've 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 learned from from those things in our later years however it might have held us down but we were very honest you know and and in the end i can I can definitely attest that we were an honest band just trying to do the right thing. You can sleep soundly at night. For sure. <laughs> and there's so much integrity there. And it's, I mean, you're the definition of a cult band, right? And I mean that as a compliment in the sense that the, the, the brand, the image, the fan base, everything is self-made and people who buy into it really buy into it. And it's something that I think is cherished by everybody who loved this band because of where it came from and the way the story unfolded. Yeah, it was a natural progression. I mean, we just kept it in family and all our friends and just kind of, uh, I mean, we really, even at this stage, if you know, I am not, I guess it's a cult band. It's so cult that no one ever admits that they even liked CKY, you know, even in these days, like we don't hear too many artists or, uh, you know, many people coming up to us telling us that we were a huge influence to them. We have a lot of uh, you know, of our audience telling us that, but I don't read much about it. Like, you know, uh, so maybe that someday we'll hear that we were of, of any effect to the actual, uh, music business or anything, but, uh, maybe there's some lessons to still be learned. Uh, we're still making mistakes. So who knows? Well, certainly from a model point of view, like being in control of your own destiny. I mean, even when you were on the Island and Def Jam, were you still 
calling the shots. As oh, well. absolutely. That was the that was the only reason. Like when we signed with Island Def Jam, that was after doing Volcom, and Volcom was such a homespun company and such an honest company. Were they doing a lot of music, or was it just? I mean, that was a the fifty. There was a, we were used to a fifty-fifty deal with and Volcom. Did more work than we were doing at the time for for us. Uh, and we were selling records. Uh, they were doing clothing, and they had their own record label run by Ar- Ryan Imagar from a really cool punk band called The Line in, in Orange County, uh, yeah, Orange County, California. Um, and The Line ran this label called the uh, called Vol- uh, Volcom Entertainment, and Volcom Entertainment allowed us to do the first Warp Tour. How uh, was that? The first Warp Tour was insane. We were driving around in my. Um, 1988 Chevy Astro minivan and uh we had no no label no support no nothing and we weren't even officially on the tour we snuck onto the tour because we had our friend's band what uh Volcom Entertainment was allowed to have a stage on the very early uh Warp Tour and we helped build that stage and we would arrive in our van before the staging would even arrive at these venues and we just park in an empty field, and then they would build the staging around the van and what we're sleeping in. And we'd wake up, and there'd be half a festival kind of built, and we'd stumble over and give a <laughs> bullshit hand on building the Volcom stage, barely any hand at all. And then we'd just wait around trying to play. And Kevin Lyman, uh, who runs the Warp Tour, he kind of knew after a while we were on it, but he knew it was happening, and we were doing okay, and things were cool. But we had one backstage pass between us <laughs> amazing so you got to hand it out and share it oh yeah every time and someone then goes for a by the time record. we figured out maybe we should make some copies over at kinko's which is a copy printing place in the u.s uh kevin lyman saw one of us with a fake pass and he booted off booted us off that tour in 1999 but we were very much sneaking on the tour and we, nobody knew who we were and we were like is CKY everybody. one out at this point or not? We CKY Landspeed the video was is what we were selling as merch, and I printed the first CKY T-shirts. Like we were about to go out, we didn't even know. We we're like, yeah, maybe we should print some shirts. Like last second, because we were just like, our Volcom said, "Do you guys want to come out on Warp Tour?" It was like next week. Like, yeah, just sneak on, you know. And we were selling good with them for the record, but yeah. So Landspeed was out, and we would we made a bunch of bootleg copies of Landspeed, and me and Jess would just sit out there while people were walking in to the Warp Tour with their tickets saying, buy this video, this video is fucked, $10, buy this video. We're like bootlegging our own movie to make some money for gas. And um, we did it again in 2000, and we got thrown off that tour as well. What for that time? That time it was because one of the uh, amphitheaters that that the Warp Tour was being held at needed to tax everyone 35% 35% extra on merch. So everybody would have had to raise the merch prices a whole lot and nobody would have bought anything. So we uh, contested that and we made a petition wrong of our idea at the time. We made a petition, fuck the Warp Tour at the Warp Tour. On the Warp Tour. Tour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we had people coming up to sign this massive petition and it got ripped down and destroyed and we got like kicked out like, you know, with a with a foot, you know, that day. Yeah. But uh, we went back to to do the uh, Warp Tour um, in 2017. The whole thing. We were on the main stage, and and we've made good amends with Kevin Lyman. And my friend said he saw you out at the Beach One most recently. Was it last year? Oh yeah, yeah. The 25th yeah. anniversary. Yeah. We did one show in Atlantic City. Yeah, and that was fun. Um, so we've it's been amended. Then it's all yeah, good. 25 years. Uh, we played the Warp Tour in '99 and in 2019. So 20 years. Pretty cool. Uh, and that that tour is just like, if you've been through it, Jesse will tell you if you ask him. It's like one of those things like, you just don't, if you see somebody who's also been through Warp Tour, you just like kind of nod and like, you know, you've been through it together. Like, it's like being in the trenches. <laughs> yeah. Like going to war together. Yeah. You I've go on really, you can go on at any time of the day. Um, Obviously, the heat a lot of the time is just heat, blisteringly intense. Nonstop. You have really no time to change over. You just, it's on and off. Uh, no sound checks, just line checks for everyone. Nobody gets treated any better than the other person, any band. Um, they swap the biggest bands with the little bands at, you know, main set times. Um, 
it's a rough tour, and then there's a stretch where it's like 25 shows in a row with not a day off. Uh, so once you're at the end of that tour, you, you really get, you know, your legs on. You get toughened up. Uh, so it was great for us to do when we came back again after the Phoenix in 2017, you know, to, to kind of just, uh, you know, work us out and get us back to, you know, being in shape again. Yeah, it's like getting you match fit, isn't it? Fuck, yeah. <laughs> and then a little run like this is like a busman's holiday. Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> this Wild Hearts Backyard Babies tour is has been uh, fun. And, and did you know either of these through. bands before this tour? Um, you know, Backyard Babies for sure because uh, of the Helicopters connection and um, because we have played a couple festivals with them uh, over the years. Over the recent years, we have played festivals with Backyard Babies, probably in the past as well. Um, the Wild Hearts we have never played with, and uh, I, I I've heard little things about it over over like time, but not I, I hadn't been familiar with the music, and I'm, I'm you know I'm getting to listen to all this stuff, and there you know it's it's crazy to hear about like some like serious rock and roll that's been around for 25 years that I hadn't known about you know I just think they never made it out of England they're yeah. so loved they're like heroes in the states in the UK, it, it must not. Yeah. It never translated, I don't think. Right, no. But it's interesting to me because if this tour was in the late 90s, really early noughties... guys, too. I mean, Danny, a bass player. They're the, the greatest. The, the stories that, that, that he has. All of them. Really, I mean, I told him, uh, it was two nights ago, I said he said he was going to write a book. I said, man, nobody in the U.S. reads books. you got to put it on Netflix. That's what we want to see, you know what I mean? So... Hopefully they make a documentary I can watch when I get back. <laughs> they need to. I was actually speaking to a friend of mine you who was, produce who was gonna do a book and I was like, We should do a film. That story about the about. uh the groin that burst twenty like twenty five feet all like of blood all over his room and the leg amputation, his toes falling off, the twenty five minutes of uh, overdose, uh, all types of stuff. Well, I think all three bands have got a lot of war stories. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell, I mean, these leather jackets are far, a little bit more beat than mine, I think. What age did you start indulging? Uh, you know, before I was in this band, and uh, but I didn't do any drugs or, uh, I wasn't, like, I drank in high school at parties and stuff, and but I really, I just was practicing my guitar, man, and, and, and at that point, I was kind of believing a lot of the 80s rock stars with their bullshit like on in the u.s it was like uh this program called uh like nancy reagan's like just say no and like rock yeah. stars got involved in that like you'd see like ozzy like blitzed out of his mind telling you to say no to drugs and like gene simmons was i'm sure sober at the time he was doing it but you know all of our you know rock stars that were big at the time were telling us not to do drugs, and I almost, you know, Seemed I like believed the party it. Was over. I was young. I no, I believed it. There was no party for me because I was fourteen. You know, I didn't. I didn't know what the party was. I knew that I wanted to be successful at that point. When kind of uh, the thing, it started to shift into the nineties, and things started to get more dark. Like I was like the eighties. I I really I I didn't. I was maybe I smoked a little weed, but. Once it started to hit the 90s and you were in a band and if you kind of weren't like, if you weren't on heroin, you weren't even in a cool band at the time, it felt like, you know what I mean? And a lot of my friends are dead. My band members, my best friends, because of that, because of that feeling and because of what we thought we had to be like to hear the music right or just to, to feel like that's all we cared about. So we really just wanted to do it right. So, uh... Following the drug patterns of our, of our heroes w was a huge mistake because, you know, I mean, like, they're fucking dead, you know, and, and all they wanted to do was just be a rock star or, you know, just play music, you know, so Re looped up into something that really had nothing to do with it uh, for cool points. And, you know, in retrospect, at the time, I, 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 I did that stuff, I, I snorted... Uh, that stuff for about a month i never shot it um but my fr my friends in, the, in my grunge bands back then did you know and they're not here so i knew that i said to them i said dude i'm leaving this fucking band if you guys start shooting that shit and i walked into a rehearsal room and i saw it happening and i was like wow 
And I packed my gear that fucking day. And then I joined that other band I told you about that did get a record deal, you know. And then I went and formed CKY. But I left that, you know, and I stuck with pot. I stuck with weed, you know. Marijuana never killed me. And I, you know, I still smoke it 24-7, unfortunately, you know, for my lungs, I guess. But, um, you know, I never went to anything harder than that after that. I did have a huge problem with Jack Daniels. You know, oh, and pills, I forgot. Downers or uppers? Both at the same time. (laughs) Okay. I was prescribed a lot of uh, Adderall. I was prescribed Ritalin before, like, I was prescribed Adderall before people were talking about it, before it was, like, for college kids and shit like that. I was prescribed it because of, you know, just being a a manic, like, uh, bipolar, you know, diagnosed manic bipolar guy uh, since I was little, you know. But, um... So I was on all that shit, and I was on Valium and Adderall at the same time. The doctors didn't give a fuck back then. They'd give it all to you. So, uh, And they thought it was pretty cool I was in a band, and they get to tell their, their friends. So they'd also give me anything I wanted. So uh, Valium and Adderall, and for CKY shows, there was a recipe to get on a stage. And I don't think I played a CKY show. I don't think any of us played a CKY show sober until 2012. 2012. Right. So you had over And it was the final, final nail in the coffin because one of us wasn't sober that show. And the rest of us were. And that was the end of that era. Uh, It wasn't due to the sobriety, but it was due to the embarrassment felt from being sober with someone from the past period. Yeah. (laughs) And it was a misfit. And uh, just our whole attitude, like we were just a fucking wreck walking around on stage for three fucking hours talking shit, like, just blowing it. Like, the shows were terrible by then, you know? So, uh, we needed a minute off to rethink all that bullshit. When did the wind truly catch the sail and things truly take off in a way that you felt like, oh shit, it's on, it's happening right now? Again, or the first time? The first time around. (laughs) The first time, um, from the minute Volcom got involved, like, because uh, we were just a Philadelphia band, and Volcom started like, and we we also had no fucking money. I mean, well, they did. Uh, Jesse didn't, but uh, me and uh, Jess and Bam didn't have any money. They they came from very little money. They were uh, they weren't a very rich family at the time, and 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 uh, and I was just like a homeless guy. And I I lived on the couch of the studio when I met those guys. So when I when we started get free clothes from Volcom. And they were like rad skate clothes that were like were like they cost a lot of money in the store. Like they were designer clothes, and they're just sending me shit. And I was like, I'd rather wear some dirty shit from the thrift shop, but <laughs> you know, I but I could sell that stuff, or I could wear it, or I could make my friends happy with it. Uh, we and then they were like sending us to California, and so when we started to like go and play other places, and like travel and just get free shit for being in a band it started to feel real cool and then <laughs> were you getting girls and drugs and all that offered on plates as well from I, the get-go I, from the get-go that yeah. didn't you don't yeah well, i've always had no trouble with that you didn't i the that's just a distraction from the band i didn't get the you know maybe originally i got in a band for that stuff <laughs> you know uh maybe not you know i can't even really remember i probably not because i was i was in a band since i was seven I didn't want, just like a guitar. I wasn't looking for pussy at seven. No, I don't no. think anyone is. Just my cat when it got <laughs> lost around the house. <laughs> and obviously, Jackass was so ubiquitous with that time. Jackass. And, oh, okay. There you go. So when that hit, um, and then people really well, CKY two K got really big. Yeah. And I think about that time is when we really started to feel like successful. Um, two thousand. Warp tour, we started to notice the fan, the the crowd getting way bigger, and in we that, weren't, and we weren't year, like just a huge difference. In yeah, we weren't like on the stage going, "Come on, come to the front, come on, get up here." Like we used to have to build a crowd, screaming to people from the back, because in the '99 Warp tour, they might have set it us set us up behind the the porta potties. You know, we we were we were just a real shit punk band. You know, so. We were begging people to come watch us. This ne- that next tour in 2000, I think CKY2K had just come out, and we could really tell that we weren't trying to beg people to come up anymore. You know, so... Uh, yeah, and selling them a lot of, lot of T-shirts. We started to do well. 
Yeah, and by 2005, we you know we all bought houses, so that was amazing. So I think, <laughs> the, and and we also had massive drug and alcohol problems. The and, whole band. Uh, yeah, yeah, the whole band, everybody, and we would be the ones to tell you everybody else is fucked up. Can you believe those bands? Like we had no idea we had a problem. None of us. Is that because of the circles you were around and in? Yeah, like I don't Jackass know anybody guys, more. Were like, you spending a lot of time with them? Because they yeah, were obviously yeah, running I, I, wild. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. So the whole thing was just kind of. Just bam in general. Chaos. Like, I mean, nobody is. I've never, ever met anyone more nuts than Bam. Like, legitimately, like, not nuts like nuts, but just like. He can. Out of control. He can. He can. He does whatever he fucking wants, and that's his tagline. But he really does, man. Whether you like it or not, <laughs> and he's gotten away with it for quite a while. But uh, we'll see. Life is crazy. You learn a lot of shit. But he's a he's a mule. He's a tough motherfucker. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tell me about some scenarios where you barely escaped. (laughs) Any come to mind? Either like local fucking townspeople trying to kill you or fucking promoters. Uh, or, or, well, back in the early days, I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, we once got beat up by by a whole skate team, me and Darren, uh, outside of a, a audio uh, an audio skate video premiere uh, in California. Darren and I got in a fight and we got beat up by 12 skaters and both ended up in the hospital next to each other. And they're just like flipping our wieners around looking to see if we had any damage. And we both wake up like, what just fucking happened? Yeah, we survived that one. Uh, that was right after a gig from shit talking. And I saw the gig online not too long ago. That's why I'm talking about it. We were so fucking wasted. Like, I try not to even watch any of our old shows, you know, because like like I said, there was a recipe to get on a stage. And I was up to like 10 Valium a night, but I would snort two Adderall and if we weren't finished the first bottle of Jack, we wouldn't even leave the dressing room. I don't care if it was two hours late. You know what I mean? Um, and that is not how you treat your job or your audience or anything. And we were just so bloated in our minds. Yeah. It, oh, well, fuck ourselves. We deserved it. We were complete assholes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that must be tough because at that time, so much of what was going on was being recorded. And it's out there, isn't it? And so, oh, as you and say, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's it's not necessarily out there. No, we I didn't rec- we didn't record any of that shit. That that shit was behind the scenes, you know. The the crazier shit's not on video. Always, right? Always, yeah. But you know, there's that obviously the scene. I mean, you probably get pulled up on it a lot where you go to Gigi Allen's grave. Right? Is that something that haunts you and follows you? And does it haunt me? I I, I mean, that? at the time, you know, at the time, um, and I still th- think you know, Gigi did some really interesting things for rock and roll. And when I did discover Gigi, I was at a point where I thought I knew everything about rock and roll. And I thought I knew the top and I thought I knew the bottom. And I thought I knew the, the limits. And when I discovered Gigi, I realized 
I didn't know the limits. And I'm, I was the type of guy who wanted to know the limits. And maybe so, push them. And maybe push them. So when I did discover Gigi, luckily, because I would have maybe ended up there, I knew that Gigi, I, I set Gigi as the limit. And I didn't, I never wanted to do Gigi. So it, I could have been a horrible thing, but Gigi did it already. Yeah. So I respected that. And he showed me like how far you can push it with just calling it rock and roll or doing it for rock and roll. Like you can really just like go nuts in front of people and like do awful things, do great things, do just push the shit out of it, calling it rock and roll. <laughs> I mean, you know, and that's cool. It like that. It is, it's, 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 the excuse he showed me the limits of the excuse of the word rock and roll. You know, using rock and roll as an excuse uh, for your bad behavior. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's exactly what it is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And 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 I needed an excuse for my bad behavior all my life. You know, isn't it wild that Todd Phillips, his first so ever great. film, and that's one that of the only guys that get me to go to a theater. You know, and now he's made the Joker, and obviously right. billions of dollars all over the world. Todd hang Phillips, over yeah, that's his, crazy, isn't it? His his. Uh, his college film, Hated, which I have uh, an original copy, uh, VHS, because uh, I, I knew uh, one of Todd's editors back then, and he's a, like a East Coast guy, but so, he's gotten so fucking successful from starting out with my favorite rock documentary as his college film. Like, my absolute favorite rock and roll documentary is uh, G.G. Allen, Hated. Uh, it's a must-see rock and roll documentary. Um, and keep watching after the credits, too. So uh, Todd Phillips did that movie, and he knew the Joker before, like, you know, the Joker. Like, I, his perspective of it is very good. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Tell me about being in the studio to make uh, Infiltrate, Destroy, Rebuild. Uh-huh. Was that an exciting time creatively with a bit of money behind the band? And Well, that's the contract, like I told you. When we signed with Island Records, I said, okay, well, I have to produce the records. We have to produce, self-produce them. And... We have to go to Hawaii, and we want that in the record contract. They're like, well, we don't really, like, that doesn't, like, we don't put trips to Hawaii in a, in a record contract. And we're like, well, we want it in the contract. So they, we've got a trip to Hawaii, whatever that meant. Uh, probably just came out of the advance, like, whatever. And then um, a decent advance, and we got to uh, record the album in, in Hawaii. We did the album in Honolulu, most of it, uh, mixed it in Hollywood or Westlake, uh, at Westlake Audio. Did Hawaii treat you good? Was that a... Uh, went, no, uh, well, it, Hawaii was great, but when we went, we were scheduled to fly out on September 12th, 2001. You know what that day is. Of course. So, we had to postpone our flight. None of us knew even if there was a reason at all to, to get on a flight at that time. No idea if... Why would we? And is it dangerous? And do, I mean, how many days left for left with the planet at that point? We didn't know what was happening, and we were scheduled to fly out on the twelfth. We postponed it to the fourteenth. So there we are, the fourteenth, trying to start an album with that right over our heads three days before uh, September eleventh. I'm talking about, and uh, so we're just kind of trying to start a record, and 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 the newspapers and we're just reading news and I just remember the engineer reading the news and they were like bagging the newspapers afraid that they were coated in uh, in a uh, chemical. There was all types of fear going on, really. Uh, so we were like under this massive guise of fear trying to distract ourselves with that record and that's what we were doing. That's how we distracted ourselves. We were there for three weeks. Um, and when I said that, I just got dizzy from the amount of rum and alcohol that we drank. I feel a little hungover from just that trip today, 25 <laughs> years ago. But we were, we were making a rum hangover is a specific kind of hangover as well, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It, I, well, it, it has, like, I got dizzy, I think, because we got island fever. Mm-hmm. Is what When you go to Hawaii and you stay there for too long, it's like there's something called island fever where you just, like, start to get a little disoriented and you, like, have to get back to the mainland. It's like being on a boat all of a sudden. You know, I feel like that right now. Like I feel like I'm on the ferry just thinking about it. But uh, so we got back, we got out of there and finished the rest of the record uh, out of there. Uh, oh, we went back to mix. We mixed Flesh in a Year back in Honolulu, actually. So and that's the best sounding song on that record. So I mixed that in in, in Honolulu. 
What kind of an immediate effect did September the 11th have on like touring bands and the live music industry at that time? Do you remember? Um, Obviously, it had a global impact, but just I, I mean, it changed everything. Micro. Like I said, like we were, like we were all, we didn't know how long we had left, and everything was very immediate, and we were very, everything felt very honest. We all felt connected. There wasn't this bloated. Uh, Instagram, like addiction to fame, nobody felt famous. Everybody felt equal. There was no fame and like there wasn't levels of people, even past money it felt like. You know, people were people for a minute. And everyone's forgotten that. And if it has to take some goddamn awful catastrophic event to make people see that again, it's a damn shame. But, the you know, everybody's so up their own asses with the fucking fame, desire for fame. It's, there's never been more of a time to reject that if you want to be famous don't be famous <laughs> well now as well for people want to be famous just for being famous like it used to be you'd have a craft and then you'd become famous off the back of that craft now the craft is fame do you know it's what i such mean a, such a cheesy distraction from reality uh i can only imagine to who would want to be famous september 14th 2001 it sounds stupid a fucking nihilist or a narcissistic asshole. Yeah, yeah so that's the kind of person. Shit. So try to put yourself into reality. Did you ever get bitten by that bug once you started to get some success yourself and feel things were? I t- were it goes away. Off? You don't. We can't keep that sense of reality constantly. It's depressing, and especially when others don't follow. So just trying to deal with the rest of the world, you have to kind of put yourself into a state of confusion and you lose yourself yeah we constantly have to come back and remind ourselves what's going on i think that our sense of perspective personally with with me and jess and stuff and cky related stuff we've never been more clear on on what's happening i mean at this point we're just a two-piece band tell me about that friendship that brotherhood with you and him we don't argue i mean we we're just i i don't really know how to even describe that um it's just uh it's much easier uh, it's just natural we just we we do this uh naturally and it was a little bit more of a struggle before kind of trying to beg people to be on your page or trying to figure people out and all those people just kind of drop off eventually like we don't have to we're not struggling to be ourselves we're very comfortable with that and and i think that's who's left you know we're just it's easier to do. This is what we do when we wake up. <laughs> it's yeah. just we're not begging each other to do this. Did you go down the rabbit hole together and come back out at the same time together, or was there a little bit of discrepancy with those individual journeys when it comes to like you know the partying and the? Yeah, Jess. Uh, Jess likes his beer, and he still does. Uh, so when Jess goes out um, after the shows to like indulge in a lot of drinking, I'm normally uh not there are you done with drinking do you not drink at all i don't drink whiskey anymore and um i drink very very little honestly i I probably drink once maybe every three months and i don't even have the attention span to sit with a drink long enough to remember i have one to even get a buzz like i forget i even poured one so it might be because the amount of weed i'm smoking (laughs) 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 and i don't want to get dizzy so i smoke weed i don't you drink and that's and, what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, not necessarily that it works, but uh, every time I smoke it, I hope it works. Yeah. I don't know if it ever do, does, you know, but I'm I'm still hoping it will. <laughs> and you're you're happy with the effects that it has and you're comfortable. No, with... I'm pretty disappointed with the effects mostly, so I keep yeah. trying to find the, the best kind of weed. But like I said, <laughs> that's, the, that's the drug addict in me, you know, yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. search for the, the proper high. Uh, it's just an escape from from everybody like i said you know like uh things and everybody like how mad can you be and a substance shouldn't be the thing you rely on to take you away from that uh so if anybody wanted to call me you know a drug addict i would be addicted to weed in a way that i smoke it a lot because it gives me a small escape for a second and it cures my nausea or stomach aches and tons of other things so um, gives me an appetite. Sometimes, uh, you know, I don't want to eat. So 
there's a good benefit from it all, and uh, it keeps my mind distracted, and and it it hasn't really ruined anything too terribly yet. <laughs> it's fucking legal, like all over the states, you know. Yeah. Not in my fucking city, though. Just I it's I buy a house in a city that doesn't have legal weed. Who who'd figure? <laughs> what took you to Nashville? The music scene, the no. surroundings, the uh, seclusion. No. No, because it's funny. Is I moved to Nashville and I haven't once gone into the city in, in seven months, eight months, not once. Um, could get a lot of work out there as an engineer or producer, right? I could, yeah. I just haven't been trying to do all that. Like I said, like I really like uh, just hiding away and uh, just I, I make a little like a uh, little studio, real comfortable, and I I'm just in there smoking. Just I'm in there smoking weed, twisting knobs, playing with. I have tons of guitars and basses and drums and i'm just i don't ever get out of my comfy pants <laughs> you know <laughs> that's what i'm really living doing. the dream brother yeah <laughs> <laughs> i guess as you say when you get off the road you want that time to decompress chill the fuck out and yeah and i did i don't like buy a, gone by i didn't like, oh, i didn't shit. buy a house over my limits and i don't live out of my means and i don't drive fancy cars and so the reason i bought my place in nashville is because anywhere in the states at this moment for decent real estate, Nashville's a, a wise investment at the moment for for a, a good uh, priced house. Houses are really expensive all over the U.S. Uh, I lived in California for 15 years, and um, and just the state of the world. I don't want to be in a crowded city in, in panic, and I don't want to be around terror, or um, I don't want to be around anyone panicking in in any situation. So I don't I don't like the uh, the stress in a big city. Um, so Nashville, cheap enough, tons of land. Um, I don't see a single house where I'm at unless I, you know, go get the binoculars uh, out, go a couple hundred <laughs> yards. Nice. <laughs> yeah. What happened with Darren? If you don't mind me asking. Um, that was 10 years ago. Uh, he quit the band in 2011, so nine years ago. Um, and then we ended up getting Daniel Davies in 2012 to fill in. And uh, then Jess and I did Fuckface Unstoppable with Bam. And what was that like? Insanity. Uh, that was a that was the first time I ever had to leave a tour. It was too I've, dark. Or just it too it chaotic. was dark, dangerous, scary as hell. Australia fuckface unstoppable tour uh Bam Margera's um punk band I guess uh where I feel felt like kind of Bam was kind of pushing it like like I said Gigi set the limit and I think Bam was trying to go past that and I didn't appreciate that you know because I was a Gigi fan and I don't want I don't want my friend Bam to fucking do that shit because I don't like the fact that Gigi did it that's good enough man like, he's dead for that shit, you know what I mean? I don't want my friend Bam to die from that shit. And Bam was kind of pushing at that tour, and he was really going hard. The hardest tour, there's a there's a couple... The, the tour manager wrote a uh, a write-up on that tour somewhere online of uh, Bam Margera's Fuckface Unstoppable two, uh, 2012 Australia tour. And, and it's just insanity. So I didn't want to come back with a body bag, and I was positive that Bam was... Uh, trying to go out that way in Australia. So I quit the band due to the fact that I was afraid that Bam was going to die on the tour and the fact that I had to do the same drugs to keep up with that tour. Every night, we'd get thrown out of a hotel. Every night, I'm talking, two or three times a night, we'd keep checking the different hotels. That's exhausting, and there's not a minute to sleep when you're doing it. He's just moving the party around, and there's he's like a Pied Piper running around, and, and they're groups of just like the worst humans on earth following him around you know and i was playing guitar in the band and i had to go with that tour and i didn't at that time i was trying to be sober that was this, i knew cky had a lot of trouble and then we were breaking up we were falling apart at that time so i was trying to be sober so i quit that band to, to for my sobriety and reform cky in 2016 with uh you know with a good head and uh, we were ready at that point. And then we went to uh, Dave Catching studio at Rancho de la Luna uh, to record that record because I felt really good when I went there. Uh, 
to I, I visited Rancho de la Luna uh, with a friend's band uh, who was recording, and the vibe was great. Uh, it's such a vibey place. Right. It feels like magic's just capable and in it, the yeah, air. It, it does, and, and if you listen to all those records, magic is capable, it sounds like, in the air, you know, there. So it, it you never know if it's going to come to you, <laughs> but uh, it's a good spot to start. And uh, did you have the material ready to go, or were you going there with the intention of creating? Yeah, we had five days booked, so we didn't have time to screw up. Right. I would love to go and hang out at Dave's and uh, freeform some shit, or like desert session style, you know, like 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 he gets to do, you know. But but what people don't realize is, and they obviously can't see the room that we're in now. But if you imagine like a dressing room size or a lounge room. The studio is not a lot bigger than this, is it? Yeah, it's a there's small like ranch bed house. down there, like the kitchen, and then there's like the room where you jam and play, and that's kind of it. It's a small ranch house, and you walk right into the uh, control room. That's the yep. the foyer. The first of the thing living you room. see yeah. when you go through the door, isn't it? Really small, but such legendary records made there. The same equipment, you know, the drum set that's on all of those records is there, and uh, you know, the vibe is great. Um, we stayed there for five days and worked as quick as we could. Um, and then uh was that the first time you'd worked with another producer no dave 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 wasn't there at the time actually okay Uh, dave was on tour with eagles at the time right so no i produced that uh we had uh one of dave's friends uh there to help with the engineering uh john and um then we took the tracks out and then you know then i screwed them up or you know mixed them or made them good or bad elsewhere you know in the mix process but I would have loved to do it solely there. It wasn't mixed there, um, but it was recorded there. So uh, It's quite an upbeat, positive, optimistic album, and now I'm learning why. Because I think the thing with CKY, which I love, and I think the reason everyone loves the band, is this kind of somber, low-key, moody vibe to a lot of the material. But there's some tracks on that record, even the song about having a breakdown or being close to a breakdown. Right. It's a positive, life-affirming, well, my like, vibe and C- yeah, thanks. My vibe, my vibe and CKY, just musically, is always to kind of mix. I think the best stuff has sad and happy at the same time. Yeah. yeah so yeah. if you can hit that mark, sappy, <laughs> sappy, <laughs> sappy. But you know, in any way, it could be sappy in, in in an awful way. Tonally, it can be musically the texture can change it can be heavy it can be loud it can be soft but it can still be sappy in, in all those forms you can have something extremely heavy that's sappy in a way but it's got to kind of break your heart in a way uh, somewhere in there maybe just for the smallest second maybe it's just one note that comes by and does it you know or you know it's got to make you like just smell something or feel something or hurt for a minute or just the smallest slightest bit so if it's one direction or the other i don't stick with it i can't do the saddest the shit i can't do the happiest of shit but uh if there's just that if it that's all i'm ever searching for in 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 the songs so i think we nailed that on on a lot of stuff and i'm fine with that you know the, the we have my problem over the years has been a lot of layering and uh problem to me maybe not to others but to some listeners can't absorb so much sound at once i think and i've always been trying to fight to get to uh to find a way to simplify the music to still make it have that but it's kind of like textures and melodies and counter melodies and stuff is what creates the hurt for me yeah so it's hard to take away some of these layers and i've been struggling for years trying to but uh you know, and I've heard people be able to do it, even like John Frusciante can do it by accident, you know, and, and, and certain people with, with that guy's a limited, wizard. like very little instruments. Yeah. You know, he can pull it all with almost just one instrument can make that happen, you know, so there is a way to do it. Did Richie Cozen <laughs> teach you guitar? Is this true? Yeah. Richie Cotson, I took lessons from when I was 18. Uh, I wasn't just starting, but uh, yeah, Shrapnel Records, Mike Varney. Uh, was a guy who put out a ton of Shredder records in the 80s, and that's all I listened to was uh, Paul Gilbert and Joey Tafola and Racer X, well, Racer X records and fucking Tony McAlpine and, and Richie Kotzen's. And um, Richie Kotzen is an amazing singer after the fact, but I listened to him as a guitar player. He's also in the Winery Dogs and 
he joined Poison and kind of took CeCe's place back in the day. <laughs> Got kicked out. Um, yeah, Richie Cotton was from Pennsylvania, where I'm from. Right. And I just ran into him at the supermarket at the Ralph's in uh, in Studio City not too long ago. And I was like, hey, he's like, let's go have a coffee one day. I was like, I don't want a coffee. I just want more lessons. <laughs> I want singing lessons now, you know. Fuck the guitar lessons. How did you find <laughs> stepping up? Uh, singing? Yeah. You enjoy I, it? Yeah, like dude, it. I'll take any challenge on my, like, I'll take any job. You you don't want the job? Fine, I'll do it. Like, that's how I am. Like, all right, oh, you don't want to do it? I'll do it then. Fuck it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't care. Like, I'm if I want to do something and you're in my way and you ain't doing it right or you don't want you don't want to do it, or you're bitching about it, I'll do it. I don't want to hear you bitching about it. So I'll do it. I never wanted to do it. Never my goal to do it was never my goal to do it. I always wanted to be in the back. I liked being the, the guy that, that behind the curtain, you know? Like, I'm a producer, you know? I want I wore a mask in this band when I joined because of that, you know? I, I took it off. I should have kept it on, man, knowing how fucking popular mask bands become, would become <laughs> right, yeah. and how I would extend my career far. Maybe I'll start you again. You need a few more members though. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. We were, we were one and I was the only guy in the band wearing a mask and looking weird before Limp Bizkit had that dude doing it, before Wes was doing it. So uh, I was doing it out of embarrassment for the musicians I had just joined up with because I was in cooler local bands than what I had just joined. And I didn't want anybody to be like, fuck, Chad fucking is playing with these losers from fucking the suburbs. <laughs> I think Wes's reasons are the same, probably, to be honest, his embarrassment <laughs> about Limbisky. Yeah, right? I, it's possible, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I love Wes, actually. He's great. He's a great guy. I know him very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, um, he's very open about his feelings on that band. At one point, um, we were trying to get his brother to play synth in CKY. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Because they do the Black Light Burn stuff together, don't they? Or is it Big Dumb Face? Uh, big Dumb Face, I do remember. Do. Yeah. We were in Jimmy Iovine's office, and he was showing us the Big Dumb Face video because we were, we were about to sign with Interscope. I just remember seeing that. Like, we were the first ones to see that shit. So, uh... It was a crazy time, man. The record business as we now know it is a totally different thing, isn't it? It's gone. I, yeah, it's gone. Ways. I mean, it's gone. You've but, to but see then the last hoorah, right? There are labels, and they help bands, you know, who don't want to go hiring you know people to promote their records for them themselves and making their own imprints and keeping track of numbers and blah 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 they help you know they help a band get a record started if you can get a small budget and you don't have one or something you don't necessarily need a label in any way obviously um but to promote your band you do need someone out on the street that knows other people to talk about it so you have to hire that person or something to tell them you can be your own label though these days and social media is not the greatest thing i mean social media is a huge lie there's so many bands with massive followings online that couldn't sell four tickets in any city yeah yet they think they would and they hear their fan every fan on there is like come to wichita come to you know and then they get there there's nobody there those fans are full of shit they ain't coming out you know why because they're on the fucking computer yep Bullshitting. I love you, man. I'm your biggest fan. It's like, well, buy a record then. Don't yeah, just well, like my Instagram post. It's not buy a record. I don't care if you buy a record. I care if you go to a show. Yeah. I want you to go to a show. That's the most important thing as far as what I do. is like, I, I only got in a band. Like, I love recording. When I'm done a record, I never listen to it again personally because I've listened to it so much making it. But uh, touring is what I really do is like, I like to travel and I like to play music and, and get into it and feel it and and be out there and and if the audience is there then they should damn have a great time and and, and if uh if people aren't coming to the show then then this stop the buck stops here you know so <laughs> we'd stop right now if nobody's it would to all show. be all be done and dusted yeah. yeah it's the last bastille of income isn't it for right i mean income or not it we don't half the time sometimes we make money sometimes we don't that's just touring we do it because we love doing it if it keeps us busy, you know, gets me out of the house, I'll keep doing it. If people are there, I'll keep doing it. Uh, not trying to get rich, that's not the illusion. It never would be. If I want, I'd make more money working at Burger King in the States, minimum wage, at times in this business. It's up and down. This is not a real job. Anyone, it's just not. Uh, so, um, y y y I'll keep making music 
there's you can do things on the side. It depends how lavish a life you want to live, man. If you can find that perfect way to live where you can do this, that's what I've done, you know? Well, a lot of people fucked up by getting married so many times and then divorced, and then yeah. all the women take half their shit, isn't yeah, it? That's kids, a lot of those guys I, yeah, like I said, kids from and that wives, era. Right. I, have, I don't have <laughs> the kids and wives, so I, maybe I have uh, more savings because less overheads <laughs> less overheads yeah, that's what uh, a couple of things i wanted to pick up on before i let you go chad um first of all is guns and roses yeah. what, what happened there it was chinese democracy tour yeah did you get to do any shows with them in the end what happened we've talked about this one uh a lot in, over the years we did uh, we did there was 18 shows on the gun Th- guns and roses 2002 tour we did with them axel asked us to come out which was the hugest compliment we couldn't believe it and uh we were had a, we were a band with a terrible attitude, and all of a sudden they threw us into uh, amphitheaters and stadiums opening for Guns N' Roses. It started with a riot in Vancouver, Canada. Axel didn't show up. We played that show. So on that tour, we did 17 shows, and Axel did 16 out of 18. So we played more shows on his tour than he did. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And so you're basically, was the riot happening whilst you guys are the on? Ri- the, or first, after? the first day the riot happened, uh, because Axel wasn't showing up. I mean, it was two hours after. So you guys were all right. You did your show. We had then. already played, yeah. yeah. Our, you were on time. <laughs> our bus was parked with Guns N' Roses buses. So when the riot happened and they started pulling the chairs and everything out of the venue to throw at the buses, our buses, our bus was getting pummeled with the chairs. And they're like, the staff, t- uh, the, the touring crew told us next time, We'll let you guys know beforehand so your bus doesn't get damaged next time. If there's, if Axel's not going to show, we'll tell you. But before, so when we hit Philadelphia 17 shows later, which is our hometown, it wasn't the end of the tour. It wasn't supposed to be the end of the tour. But uh, Axel, again, did not show up. We did a sold-out Madison Square Garden show in New York City. The next night was Philadelphia at the Spectrum, the first Union Center. It became, uh, I'm not sure what it's called now, but it's where I saw all my concerts as a kid. CKY played. We got the word, Axel's not showing up. Get your bus out of here. And we wanted to see the riot. We knew there was going to be one, and especially in Philly, we wanted to see this shit because that's, that's where you want to see a riot. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to see a riot, but if you had to watch what one might look like, you could just watch after or before an Eagles game or whatever. But uh, they rioted, and... All those windows and shit were getting smashed. They smashed a million-dollar uh, mixing console. The entire crew, Axel's entire crew, quit that day. Uh, we got our bus out of there, but like I said, we circled uh, on I-95, the highway right next to the venue, and just made the bus circle so we could keep watching what was happening. So we're just circling around the venue on the highway trying to get a good watch. Uh and then that was the end of the tour. We never saw Axel again after that. Never heard from him. Um, Did but, you interact with him on the tour? Yeah, Axel. What was he like to you guys? He was super cool to us. Uh, he was funny. And uh, we were told on, when we first got on that tour, don't even look him in the eyes when he walks in the hallway. Keep your head down. Don't make eye contact. And you know what? We weren't going to take that bullshit. That's not. That's a human being. And I don't think that's even Axel saying that. I think that's the motherfuckers who work for him. Yeah. And they're the ones making him look bad. And it was probably half of those fuckers who work for Axel making calls for him and this and that shit talking for him that made him look way worse than he was. Because as a dude, he was rad. He was real nice to us, and we didn't deserve to be on his tour. We weren't that big of a band. Uh, we got to play sold-out Madison Square Garden. You know, I tell that story all the time to anybody. If, like, they never heard of my band or anything about rock and roll, I can just say, well, I played a sold-out Madison Square Garden, you know. Played the garden, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, shit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Axel uh, was a cool dude to us. I'm not sure. I, I think he got a bad rap, honestly. Why do you think he just didn't? I'm not show talking up to about those braids then? either. Yeah, <laughs> the corn rolls. <laughs> right. <laughs> How come you think he just didn't show up those times? I mean, it's it's a weird mindset, isn't it? I heard he was that? hanging with a girl watching the game. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> he had a better place to be. But, uh, yeah, and but Axel at the time uh, had these gurus that he listened to, all their uh, whispering in his ear, and yeah, yeah, they would give him advice, and maybe it was good advice because truthfully, look at him now. He's just fine. He's on top of the world. Fucking Axl Rose, and he knew that. He didn't have to put up with anybody's shit. So what what harm did it do him? You know, that's a rock star right there, and <laughs> there aren't many of them. Yeah, left. yeah, and and y'all ain't like that, so don't try it. <laughs>
<laughs> we're and, not we're not gonna we're not gonna act like that. And, and finally, Hetfield, Metallica. Yeah, yeah. James Hetfield asked us. That was another personal invitation, right? Personal invitation from Hetfield to open up uh, on his first show back in his hometown from rehab after the, the St. Anger, uh, like that documentary. Some kind of monster. Some kind yeah. of monster. Yeah, that that period, right when he got out of rehab, he was sober, Hetfield, and we were fucked up CKY. Yeah. And he invited a real fucked up CKY. Did he know that about you? Fuck no, but right. probably when he met us, and we never heard from him since. Big mistake <laughs> there. Hey, Jess. What's up, dude? So, yeah. And he, he treated you good, and it was a good time? Uh, or was we, it just it was, one? We, we played one show with them. We'd love to do a thousand more, though. <laughs> well, if he's listening. Yeah. Hey, James. CKY is still around. Dude, thank you so much for your time. Cheers. Thanks, Mark. Really enjoyed that, and I uh, look forward to hanging out over the next few days. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.